everyone to the Gov Navigators podcast, a government-focused podcast that won't make you seasick. We're the Gov Navigators. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. We hope to enlighten and enliven your week with news and insightful, entertaining guests, all on the topic of government management. Enjoy today's episode of Gov Navigators, brought to you by the creative geniuses behind the award-winning podcast, FedHead. Welcome to another episode of Gov Navigators. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. So, Adam, what are we going to talk about uh, this week? Well, Robert, there's breaking news from GAO. I don't know if everyone saw this or not, but they have issued another report that says that the U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path. So I wonder if the fella or gal at GAO who coined the term unsustainable fiscal path is still alive, because that's the exact coined term that's been in use for decades by GAO. And it's been sustained. I mean, if I had a nickel, the shocker, the deficit is still with us and growing, which means the debt is still with us and growing. What's interesting to me is it puts the administration in a bind. This coming out at a time when Republicans are pressing the administration to come to the table with spending cuts and the administration is pushing back saying, no, this says, you know, there's got to be room to cut because we can't keep spending at current levels. That's correct. You know, I used to work for Senator Ken Conrad. Name drop. No free ads. A a dedicated fiscal, I, I don't know if I'd use the word conservative, but certainly a deficit hawk. And he always talked about in terms of GDP, which I think in the in the popular debate we get away from because it's too esoteric and people don't want to talk about that. They want and to know the scam. big numbers. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like not find, a a, find a way to come up with a goal to cut the deficit, a fraction of what you really need to. But go no, ahead. Okay. You no, know, in terms of negotiation, I agree. But in terms of the, the size, you have to compare it to the U.S. economy because that's the thing that's driving the spending in, in some respects. But. I think what you're saying, you, my wife even won't let me have any debt. So that, that's that's <laughs> that's where I start the conversation. There's certainly validity to to the idea that, particularly the last five to ten years, spending has certainly gone up drastically. I think warranted, but it, it's interesting that you're framing this in terms of the the debt ceiling negotiations. There was supposed to be a meeting between uh, President Biden and Speaker McCarthy on Friday, but it was postponed. Yeah. Because what we have a lot of right now is time. Yep, we don't. That was a joke. That was a Gov Navigator joke. Pause for after. (laughs) Now that we've brought the everyone down on the mood elevator, what what are you looking at? Okay, well then let's look to Bob Pucci, Tennessee's Executive Director of Intelligent Automation, speaking at the National Association of State CIOs. I know I've throwing a lot at you just then, but he gave a presentation bragging about Tennessee saving over 100,000 work hours each year through its artificial intelligence and automation work, really sort of beating the drum that more and more agencies in the government across federal, state, and local ought to be really uh, driving automation to maximize productivity. That was a great story and also showed real potential for the use of those technologies. And I think there's certainly use cases for it at the state and local level. And lots of those organizations have been working on this for a while. But I also think a lot of this is new. 
to state and local government, particularly the productivity gains. So it'll be interesting to see how other states either adopt or try to accelerate their use if they're already using them. Yeah, it, of course, it's been done across the federal government, but it is a target-rich environment uh, Absolutely. where I think the, the applications are uh, endless. So on the flip side, Rockwell well, what Automation. What do you mean flip side? Well, on the flip side, there there are bad bots, too. So you're Rockwell Automation. You're, I know. You're, are we good we, cop, bad cop? I think, we, I think we need to switch up the batting order next time. Rockwell Automation, which provides productivity improvement software and cybersecurity services, is in a bit of a sticky wicket. The U.S. government is investigating whether their employees based at one of their facilities in China might have had access to software codes that connect the computer systems to sensitive U.S. information. I mean, uh, the last thing we need is something like that to slow down progress, but the importance of security can't be overstated. We really do have to make sure that we're dotting the I's and crossing the T's in that regard so that their vulnerabilities aren't taken advantage of by hostile actors. Those are definitely some of the highlights. A lot of these you might find in the Gov Navigator's public policy updates, which come out weekly. Shameless go plug. Our, go to our website at www.govnavigators.com to sign up for those. Great guests coming up, so stay tuned. Okay, we're back, and we're really excited to be joined by Matthew Cornelius, who is not only leaving the hill, but he looks like he's leaving town. We're getting, we're getting him actually en route. He's, he's, he's left the Beltway. Most recently, as professor staff member at the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Government Affairs. Matthew, welcome. Robert, Adam, great to see you guys. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. So. You're an icon. You've been at Treasury, GSA, OMB, Homeland Security and Government Affairs. Matt, why can't you hold down a job? <laughs> I like to th- I like to think that I'm in such high demand that uh, <laughs> folks are constantly trying to push me for new opportunities. And so there you go. Uh, it has been very it has been very fun to be in Congress. Uh, I'm having a lot more fun here. 18 hours post my my congressional staffer life. And uh, we'll see what comes next. But but for now, I'm happy to be talking to to both of you. So tell us what you were working on when you left and basically just some observations on your time in the Senate. The observations are, you know, in a lot of these areas, the things that the two of you care about, your listeners care about, I care about, there's a lot more bipartisan interest and attention and not in not in a highly political way, right? These aren't debt ceiling fights. These aren't, you know, it's not abortion. It's not taxes, right? Everybody wants the government to be more effective and efficient. They want to deliver better benefits and services to taxpayers at a good cost and a good return. We all have different ways of thinking about those issues or or conducting oversight or thinking about legislation that we might pass. But I am constantly surprised on a week-in, week-out basis how many times I could sit down and have a wonderful conversation with Republican office who was on our committee, Republicans off our committee, folks on the House side, and really think about new and creative and unique ways for Congress to take action to help deliver value to to American people. So at the macro level, if you're watching cable news, right, you're, you're on Twitter, you think the whole place is burning down. But you know, when you're sitting across a negotiating table or you're having coffee in the basement of, of Russell Senate office building, you can actually get some things done. So 
that's one of the things that I will take away. I did, I did not have that rosy of a picture of Congress when I decided to take a leap and, and take this job, but I was always surprised with how thoughtful and, and terrific the staff were. Matt, it's funny you, you say that. We're just getting started with the podcast. You're the second very keen observer of the activities on Capitol Hill, particularly having been working there. And you, sure. you almost verbatim said the same thing that our friend Charles Cooper said about a month and a half ago, which is that don't pay attention to what's on cable TV. There's lots of great work going on in Congress to try to solve problems. And I, I told Charles, and I'll say the same thing to you, I'm, I'm heartened by that. It's a great point. And there, there are some issues where that is the case. But on these issues, it, it really is bipartisan. It's bicameral. And in, you know, in a lot of cases, we work very well with the administration. And in some cases, we have to work against the administration where it's in Congress's prerogative to take action where we see the administration falling down. I'd say a couple of the things that I think are really top of mind that over the next couple of months from our committee and the, the House Oversight Committee, you're going to see there's an incredible amount of interest in stopping fraudulent spending, right? We, our committee has held hearings on COVID spending oversight. The House Republican majority in this Congress has, have, have held those hearings as well. The administration, right before their budget came out, had a big fact sheet on a litany of new mandatory spending requests and, and some authorizing legislation they wanted to see. So, you know, they're taking that issue seriously. They want to maintain uh, the confidence of the American people and show that they're being good stewards of taxpayer dollars. We certainly want to make sure that the money we provide to executive branch agencies goes to the intended beneficiaries, that we're increasing equity, that folks get access to these programs and services that we've created and we've appropriated. And so I think the administration had some good ideas. I think our committee, you know, the House uh, Oversight Committee had some good ideas. So I think that will be a really interesting area. And then one of the other sort of topical areas I think is really important, I know you all have talked about and worked on for a long time, the customer experience space, it's still very nascent. We held some hearings last Congress on this. You know, we passed some bills on this to improve plain writing. There's some talk around creating a chief customer experience officer, thinking about how we get folks better information, easier access to services and benefits that they're eligible for, and to make sure that we're serving you know, lower income and, and you know, less well-off communities. I think over the next few months, you're going to see a lot of activity in this space, and it will lead to a lot of productive conversations. You know, it occurs to me a bunch of stuff's happened in the last couple of weeks while you've been up there. The GAO released its biennial high-risk list, sort of a litany of things that are plaguing the government. The banking crisis emerged, yeah. highlighting some bumbling by our financial regulators. Correct. And then the, the, I don't know if you saw the COVID crisis group released the result of its years-long study pointing out yeah. the whole of government ineptitude in responding to that crisis. What is the bipartisan approach to getting government agencies to bring a better management approach not only to the everyday operations, but especially when when our country faces these crises as they inevitably will. It's a really great point. So, you know, one of the things I was uh, very heartened to see when Comptroller Dodaro came to testify in front of our committee a couple of weeks ago on the high-risk list, if I recall correctly, it had the largest number of improvements of any programs on the high-risk list over the past decade or more, right? There were several issues that were on the high-risk list where 
the administration and sometimes with help and support and pushing from Congress made some real progress on some of these issues. Now, nothing's perfect. They still got a long way to go in a lot of these places, whether it's cybersecurity or identity theft, things like this. But, you know, I think that shows some of the bicameral and, and Article One, Article Two cooperation that you see there. I'm not familiar with the, with the COVID report that you mentioned, but your committee released a very large in-depth study of pandemic preparedness and those initial steps by the CDC and NIH when the COVID crisis was first being identified. It's one of those things where I was able to work very closely with the folks on our investigations team to identify a lot of these well-meaning but outdated laws that in a lot of cases impeded the ability of agencies to respond even when they were allowed to respond, right? And again, this is this is your podcast. This isn't cable news, so we're not going to get into tit for tat over who did what when in March of 2020. But there are things like the Paperwork Reduction Act and the Privacy Act, which you've all heard me harp on before, that kept agencies from responding as quickly as possible, even those that had been preparing for a pandemic or for certain crises like this. So it's opened the eyes to other people on our committee, other members to say, are there some of these core functions of government that can be reformed and modernized so that when you put politics aside, our country can be more ready to respond? I was going to try to slide in a joke about if they create a chief experience officer. It's really just the folks down at OGP <laughs> at the trough uh, yeah. wanting to grow and be bigger sure. <laughs> all the time. That's so true. Uh, so shout, shout out to my OGP peeps out there. Both of us, two OGP alums here. That's two right. I'm going to shift course a little bit. You've seen government from a lot of different angles. Talk a little bit about what it's like working on the Hill. What are you going to miss and maybe what you're not going to miss? One of the things I liked about it, actually, so when, when anyone leaves um, the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee, we do something that's called a best, worst, weirdest, right? Your best memory, your worst memory, and your weirdest memory. Uh, I don't remember that. <laughs> they didn't do that for me. when I was leaving, my best memory was, was talking to all of our staff, including a lot of our junior staff. We have a tremendous stable of, of very talented policy professionals on the committee. And I reinforced to them, you will never have another job where you can pick up the phone and literally call anyone in the world, except maybe like Elon Musk or Joe Biden. And they will pick up the phone and they will answer any question you have, right? People want to be helpful to you, Republican, Democrat, independent, it doesn't matter. So I told them to stay curious, stay interested, find new and, and unique topics to work on and use that great privilege that you have in Congress to learn and, and to build relationships with people. And who knows, maybe it'll lead to them being on a great podcast someday. You know, we're all moving up. <laughs> in the world. Uh, well, when you're on that great podcast, Matt, please look us up and let us know <laughs> well, about it. All right. I will. I'll give them a five star rating. Uh, <laughs> I will say this, one of the things I will miss, one of the frustrations I had, and you know, because my career, unlike a lot of folks in D.C., uh, most people come up and start in Congress, learn there, do oversight, work on bills, and then try to move over to the administration, right? Or, or, or they go into industry, you know, that they start in Congress versus going to Congress after having been in the executive branch in many places and, and, and in industry like I had. And the biggest frustration I had was I always felt that we were not a co-equal branch of government, regardless of what Article 1 and Article 2 say in the Constitution. Congress constantly 
feels as if it's trying to catch up, right? The administration is constantly acting. They are constantly executing the authorities and spending the money that we provide them. And oftentimes when Congress has questions or is trying to conduct legitimate oversight or is trying to work on a piece of legislation and hopefully doing that in a collaborative way with the administration, sometimes they don't want to be bothered, right? They, they say nothing's wrong here, nothing to see. We're doing everything we can. Don't look behind the curtain. Everything's fine. For someone like me who played those games when I was at OMB and when I was at GSA and now coming to Congress, not not being able to get those folks to open up and have real conversations when we have identified a problem or we do want to solve a particular issue, that was frustrating. But you know, at the end of the day, you would find better and new ways to try and get an answer or solve that issue. And there's still a lot of opportunities for the committee to, to take action there. Okay. The big mystery that our listeners have is, as we backed into the title of this show, Corndog Unleashed, <laughs> give us a little background on, on your nickname, Corndog. Corndog as a nickname was something that I got in college when I played rugby back when I had muscles and didn't even know that the world of public policy existed. I was a English and drama double major at the University of North Carolina and also a rugby player. English drama <laughs> and rugby. I, yeah, how have I never true. learned this about you? <laughs> now you know. Now you know. This is why you invite me on the podcast. I mean, trust me, being a drama major is the single best thing you can do to come work in Washington. I mean, you know, everyone's a character. Uh, most people are very bad at listening. If you're good at that, you're going to find ways to build better relationships. Corn dog with two G's. Get the spelling right. If it's going to be the title of the podcast, you got to spell it right, guys. I'm a, I'm a brand now, and we've got to make sure that the, that the Gov Navigators podcast universe understands it. We're behind your brand. We want to do whatever we can to buck you up. We're excited to see what you're doing next, and we're really grateful you spent some time with us as you're getting the hell out of Dodge. No, thank you, guys. Really appreciate what you all do. I mean, lifting up these stories and talking to folks and trying to, like you said, peel back that curtain and, and get some real answers from people that know what's going on is, is so important. And there is a lot of great work going on and there will continue to be so. Fun times ahead. Thank you all for what you do. And I appreciate you having me here today. Thanks for being with us. Thanks again to our friend, Matt Cornelius, for joining us today. That was a, a wonderful recap of his Senate career. And we wish him the best. Yeah. I wish everybody could have seen the precious puppy on his lap during the podcast. Well, a video rolling out uh, to Gov Navigator's platforms in 2024. We're not going to put any pressure on ourselves here. Good for you. Robert, what are you looking at this coming week? I can't believe you have to ask. It's the 20th anniversary of the Chief Human Capital Officers Council, and I've been invited to the Theodore Roosevelt building for a celebration of that milestone. So I'm very excited. I was involved in enacting that legislation and worked very closely with the Chico Council, as it was is called, uh, over the years. So um, that community has accomplished a lot, but they sure have a lot of more work to do. So celebrating them, encouraging them will be a good use of my afternoon uh, I, next, I'm, next Thursday. I am shocked. Uh, stalwart of the Republican Party, Robert Shea, involved in the the long-term buildup of government bureaucracy. I'm shocked. Yeah, I don't calling me out on that, but the <laughs> intent was not to increase bureaucracy. It was to smooth or enhance it.
Indeed. And of course, I'm kidding. Having come from helping to run the oh, Chief Information <laughs> Officer Council at GSA, the council has provided an invaluable resource for coordination across government for implementation of policy. It's a very large government and anything that you can do to try to help to make sure that the policy is is not only written well, but implemented uh, quickly and easily is a benefit to everyone. Amen. I also find it interesting that you were invited to the event. Uh, I was invited to the happy hour. So the they want you for the substance and they want me for the fun is my takeaway from this. There's a happy hour to which I was uninvited. I, it's not clear you were ever on the list. You can be my plus one. It'll be fun. <laughs> awesome. Gov Navigators in force. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gov Navigators podcast brought to you by Gov Navigators. We sure hope you enjoyed it and learned something in the process. And didn't get seasick. Right, of course. If you want to know more about us and what we're up to, please visit govnavigators.com. Ahoy! Oh, jeez. <laughs>